Welcome to Stuck in Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment and sports and <laughs> tech and all sorts of things these days. I'm your host, Carl, and with me as always is Aton. Hello, Aton. How are you doing? Hey, Carl. I'm, I'm okay. I'm still recovering from all of us strangers yesterday night. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Loud um, subs. Everyone in the movie theater. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. Um, I really liked it. We, what was your what was the experience like? Did did you like the film? I really liked the film. I'm a huge um Andrew Scott fan. Um that you're gonna say a huge fan of sad gay movies. I was like, okay. I mean sure. Uh, <laughs> but I'm a big fan of him. I'm, we're actually gonna go he did the solo production of Uncle Bania in London. Uh, late last year and they recorded it and it's coming to theaters but only like one day in each theater and it's playing here in February plug for people in case they want to go watch it um, I'd say I only know Uncle Vanya from um, Drive My Car a few years ago that's the entirety I have uh, the entirety of the Chekhov knowledge I have on that this is also the first time I'm going to like watch any version of it but he's playing all the characters it's like, it was like a London National Theater production um, huh. okay cool I don't know. I really liked it. It's interesting because uh, I mean, I like to, you know, read and catch up on everything about a movie after I watch it, especially a movie like this. And, you know, a lot of people, some people have the usual, but wait, you watch it, right? Yeah. Okay, people, you were going to spoil it for a sec, but um, they're like, okay, so is, is it that he can see dead people? And I was just like, who cares? Like, who right, cares? Yeah. If he's seeing real people, or if this is just his imagination, or this is just him dealing with the trauma, I was truly, I throughout the movie, I never once asked myself, like, but wait, how is this happening? For me, the most, I mean, the parents' stuff is just incredible. Like, every scene with the parents, and all of that idea of, like, exploration of like, what would you do if you were able to have a conversation with your parents at your same age? And they're not the same age, like he's already a little bit older, but like if you're at exactly yeah. the same level of maturity, experience, and you would be able to do that, how would that work? Like, how could you be treated? How much of that experience comes from the different teenagers? How much would you feel comfortable saying all the things that have been good or bad? and? How vulnerable would you be willing to be, right? There is a the, the scene where he's in bed looking at his mom, and you're like, "But they're the same age." And he's like, "But you can tell that he's her son, and the relationship that they have." I don't know. I just found it. I found it very, very moving. Um, and I, yeah, for me, the part that pulled me the most was that. And uh, I also didn't. I kind of expected the twist for a second, and it was still very well. I thought it was very well done. I did too. I I struggled with I think fully emotionally connecting with the film at times, but unlike some films where I'm like I didn't have enough to grab onto, I'm like it's all there. I just need to sit with this more or see it again or I like it's not a fault of the film that I didn't respond fully to certain things, but when I did, it was very impactful. I, I think the scene with um, I. The scenes with his parents are the standout, and I think what's emotionally the most interesting there. But 
the scene specifically was I, I really liked the solo scenes with the parents, especially yeah. the scene with his father played by by Jamie Bell. Sorry, I thought that. Sorry, I didn't go yeah. into your room when you were crying. I I thought that was a really effective like exploration of what you're talking about, where they're not quite peers because inherently there's not a peer relationship, but in terms of wisdom and life experience, and also just you know you know knowledge of life and culture and society that Scott has that they don't they are peers and I think that's such a fascinatingly strange relationship to first conceive of and second portray and it fully nails it yeah so, yeah very impressed throughout by the film um but those scenes especially yeah there are a couple of moments there are a couple of times where he has to tell his parents don't worry it was a long time ago and you can mm -hmm. see at the same time how it comes from a place of protecting them, but it's also breaking him. Like he doesn't yeah, mean totally. it. And it's almost like him trying to be the parent in terms of like, it's okay, you couldn't have done anything, but he's still like, I don't know. Yeah. I really liked it and I, I want to watch it again uh, now kind of knowing everything. Um, totally. Yeah, there was one yeah, couple I, I... that left in the first sex scene. Really? That's one of those things where it's like, I don't know how you go into this film. Yeah, right. How, how do you find out about this film without knowing that there is gay sex? And it's not like it's, um, spoilers, We're gonna be I'm going to be talking about poor things in a second. It's not like wall-to-wall <laughs> -wall R-rated uh, sex in a way that's intentionally crass. In fact, it's actually like very beautiful, yeah. nuanced, emotional sex throughout. So it's like, I, I just don't know how you aren't aware of what you're getting into. We, we had a walkout too, but I think it was just out of boredom. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, I saw poor things last night. Uh, you have not seen it, right? No. You mean 11 nomination poor things? Yes, exactly. I, I was really excited going into it because it was like, am I actually going to accomplish the mission of seeing every best picture nominee on the day that they're announced? which would be great to do it before they're announced, but I was hoping I could at least catch up then. Sure. But then I realized I haven't seen American fiction. So still missing one. We'll be catching up very soon. I don't think that's going to be like last year when I fully skipped um, All Quiet whenever we were in the middle of a move and just couldn't will ourselves to watch it. That's fine, yeah. You know, more movie. So what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, lots of thoughts. I don't want to unpack too much here because we actually have quite a bit of news to dig into and you know actual strategic analysis <laughs> but that said uh, I was surprised by a few things certainly I think quote unquote the weirdest Lanthimos film which is saying something oh, because wow. he's not necessarily a normal filmmaker yeah, no. but at the same time uh, beyond the, the favorites certainly um, one of his more accessible films narratively uh, okay. Like, if you are okay with the sex scenes and you're okay with uh, just sitting in some just bizarre vibes, then it's there's a lot to grab onto. It's not confusing at all. It's never boring. Um, the the thing I was most surprised by by it was that I think it actually does a great job illustrating the points that. Barbie tries to make didactically about gender 
and the hypocrisy of gender and, you know, how difficult it is to be a woman and live up to impossible standards while also trying to live your own life and, and be a functional person. Because just Bella Baxter's relationship to her femininity and sex and men is always defined by the expectations men have of her and how she doesn't live up to them, mm. often because she is living in a way that is more true to herself or, or more, you know, explorative, curi- curious, and um, even just questioning of, of the, the status quo. And I think there's like a really curious line that it threads subtly where there was a lot of sex in it, but every sex scene or every scene that is more, you know, body or, uh, you know, dealing with her sexual empowerment or sexual exploration simultaneously empowers her, but also disenfranchises her further because just the relationship she has to men in this, this film is always defined by, you know, men seeing her as an object of their love, of of sex, of their ideals or dreams. It it pretty acutely is is rooted in um, you know, the 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 quote unquote Madonna whore complex where like there's the expectation of women being perfect virginal mm-hmm. like maternal figures while also like being available for sex. And I think it just threads it really well in just subtle ways and i was shocked by that because i thought it was just going to be this gonzo crazy like romp through the world and the sexual exploration of of bella baxter and it actually had a lot to say and and really i think was a compliment to a lot of themes in lanthimos's other films so not what i'm going to recommend to most people but certainly a good film and certainly an interesting one that i think is is a worthy follow-up to a strange and budding career that Lanthimos has been building for the last five years in, in the States. Okay. Curious to hear your reaction when we talk nominations, if you agree that yeah, totally. they should have gone in 11. That's pretty good. I I think it's the only one I'm missing from Best Picture. Because we only have S... I guess it's a good time to talk about Best Picture, Namsa. Um, yeah. Best Picture only has eight, right? Or did they... No, there's, no, a full there's ten. Yeah. yeah. Without yeah. Killers of the Flower Moon. No. Killers of the Flower Moon's a nominee. For Best Picture. Not Screenplay. That, that's the mess. Nominees are Holdovers, American Fiction, Zone of Interest, Barbie, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, Past Lives, Anatomy of a Fall, Maestro, Killers. Why did I thought that Killers didn't make it? I... I think if, just because the snub was for for screenplay, probably like maybe overall, like what like big standout thoughts or snubs? Um, I mean the ones that are being discussed the most are, and we can go one by one. Is Greta Gerwig in director, Margot Robbie in best actress, and some people Leonardo DiCaprio in best actor. Um. I don't know. It was it was weird. I don't know. I mean, we can go into the best pictures first versus everything else, but it was this year where 
we don't only have like an Oppenheimer that has 13, you know, one, I think it's one yeah. short of the title, but we have two with 11 on Poor Things and Killers of Flower Moon. We have Maestro with seven and then Holdovers and American Fiction with five. Like, I might be completely off, but that feels like a, a significant concentration where maybe just five movies represent, I don't know, 60 or 70% of the nominations, which doesn't seem to happen that often. Which, you know, last year or a couple of years ago, where was it where the Irishman got like 11 and didn't win anything? Like, it does happen. Yeah. But it does feel like that took a lot of the... It was a very strong year in film. And that can come across in the nominations of like, oh, these five movies are just so much better than everything else. But I, for me, it's a little bit different. It just feels like there were a lot that we could have seen move one or the other. And that I wouldn't have been surprised. Um, curious for your thoughts. Like the DiCaprio stuff, it's... I don't know because I haven't watched Rustin. So I have no idea mm, I about either. Domingo. Uh, I, with Margot Robbie the one, and with Jodie Foster, the one, uh, I don't understand the law for Naya. I told you and... Did you watch it? Yes, I told you, you and yeah. Kevin since that day where I was like, I don't get why people are talking about this. I don't think either. Like, I really like Julie Foster, but I don't think the performances are particularly good. So at first, when it was like, oh, um, Margot Robbie was nominated, I was like, who who made it? Like Natalie Portman or whatever. And there was like Annette Bening. Yeah. This is very strange. What did you think? Yeah, I, I think generally I agree with you that it's, it's weird how clustered the nominations are. And it meant... And it's kind of been like that all year. I think there's been a pretty solid contingent in every category of an obvious two or three that are going to get in. Yeah. Um, with front runners throughout, but not, but not enough of a th- front runner where any category has felt like a lock. Best actress is the closest thing, though. I agree that poor things overperforming is is interesting, and I think that's what's what I'm saying when I speak say that it's weirdly accessible. Is it's like not a movie that the Academy would hate, despite it being something that you think they would. But I think Lily Gladstone is still the clear favorite. And I think the, the clear place where they'll probably honor quote unquote, that movie, it's always so difficult thinking about, okay, are, are the Academy voters actually thinking strategically about spreading the wealth or are they really just thinking about like, how do we honor like all of the films at once? And given how clustered it is this year, uh, I think it's 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 kind of difficult to say. Um, overall, I thought most of the, the nominations were pretty predictable. Most categories had kind of a surprise pick. Um, I think the the three films that I'm most surprised to see recurring in the nominations are Zone of Interest, Anatomy of a Fall, and um and maestro Maestro. yeah not like more just because maestro has had like a weird kind of buzz about it negative buzz about it lately anatomy of a fall because uh as we've discussed on this it's a foreign film that's not an eligible for foreign film and also just because it it won can doesn't mean really anything for the oscars uh side note i was very glad to see it get in i'm very sad that none of us picked it for our oscars draft yeah. um but very happy to see it get in and 
that this has been like kind of the the anti-discourse to the the Margaret Robbie Greta Gerwig thing is okay people are complaining about uh Gerwig and and, and Robbie not getting in but Justin Trietz a nominee and and it's an incredible film uh and nobody's talking about that and it's kind of minimizing Justin Trietz nomination same with actress it's like well, there's a lot of interesting actress nominations and Lily Gladstone's the presumptive winner in the category and a very interesting presumptive winner. So, yeah. But but throughout, there are just weird people that snuck in. Emily Blunt did not expect that. Um, Annette Benning, kind of a surprise, but not a huge one. Um, Sterling K. Brown, surprising. Ooh, I Not for me. I think it's because you have more traumatic fiction. I'm... I yeah, need yeah, to see yeah, it, yeah. but but surprisingly, based on just like the narratives that have been developing, that. Yeah. yeah, right, yeah, yeah, I I am there with you on Maestro getting seven. I was like, huh? Yeah, and I mean, I quite liked Maestro, but I'm surprised based on just how the the vibes have been. Um, I'm excited also in a few months whenever we do our you know annual. Who should have won? Who should have been nominated? And like also like weird nominations here because there's a lot that we could we could fill in. Yeah. Uh, unsurprising to you probably that the nomination I'm most frustrated by here is America Ferreira. I think a weak point in any film that doesn't work. Uh, so anyway, we don't need to dig into that. Um, okay, who are you most excited to see on this list that was that you didn't expect? Exactly, that's where I was gonna go. The one that I'm most excited because I expected the least, Nimona, nominated for Best Animated. I don't know. If, okay. Have you heard about I'm... this movie? No, I haven't. So it's a Netflix uh, animated movie that it's uh, great. It's based on... Oh, man. Let me not get this wrong. I believe it's uh, based on a graphical novel. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's fantastic. It's very good. It's in this futuristic... Imagine if the future got developed, but we maintained kind of a... Like, kings and knights. But it's like democracy, but knights still exist, and they have to fight monsters, okay. but it's the future, but they still dress as knights, but they're futuristic. And... Um, one of the monsters that they think about is this one called Nimona, who is this little girl that can transform into different animals. And I just found it to be full of humor, very lovely, great animation. And I didn't expect it to be because I was like, nobody has heard of this movie. Like, even when Ariel and I watched it, it was kind of like we were browsing through Netflix and we kind of stumbled into it. Yeah. Um, but I, I was very happy. You know, people were sad to not see Susume there potentially taking the elemental spot. It's probably the f- first time in a long time where the Disney animation movie doesn't make it. I mean, I was shocked to see Elemental make it. It's It felt like there wasn't going to be a Disney or Pixar nomination this year. Yeah, I liked Elemental more than I thought I would, but still, it wouldn't have surprised me if it didn't make it. Uh, but yeah, that was probably... Yeah. Nimona is probably the most unexpected one that I was like, oh, that's cool. What about you? Yeah, um... I don't think it's deserving of the win in either category that it's nominated in, but I was pleasantly surprised to see Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning make it into two categories. First nomination ever for Mission Impossible. Yeah, I think that just speaks to how beloved Tom Cruise has become 
and how beloved that franchise has become seven entries in. It's crazy that he thought that was never nominated, no? For visual effects. Yeah, it's it's, it's crazy. I, I also really, really am thrilled with the v, the VFX nominations. Um have not seen um not seen Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, but Napoleon's fine. I think it's just interesting that that made it in. Um, but Creator and Godzilla Minus One making it in for a fraction of the budget as some of the other films that were potentially eligible and shortlisted. Just both of them had great effects. Uh, I would love to see the Creator take that. Yeah. What What did you think of Oppenheimer not making it? Is there some sort of bias against like practical visual effects? Well, it, it didn't make the shortlist, which was weird. I don't... I'm not sure why. I think that's part of it. I've actually heard quite a bit from just, you know, lay people that don't necessarily think about this stuff all all day that they were kind of underwhelmed by the Trinity sequence in the film because I mean, they wanted... They, they had a crazy expectation. Right, exactly. Like, I think they wanted it to be just a bigger, badder explosion when, in fact, it's probably... I, I think that's just Nolan getting uh, in his own way of... What if I make it look like it probably actually looks and it's actually not as impressive as you think it is and as we yeah. dramatize it? <laughs> uh, and it's kind of, I think, narratively the point as well of all this for this. And obviously it's like horrible and like has horrible effects, but it's also like smaller and, and sadder than it necessarily should. Anyway, I think I think you're spot on that there's a lot of um, practical effects in that film. Um, a lot of the effects are either limited to the Trinity sequence. As in terms of perceivable effects, um, I think the biggest loss there is uh, like, okay, every David Fincher movie should inevitably be nominated for VFX, and every Wes Anderson movie should inevitably be nominated for production, production design. design. Like, yeah, those are just the kings of using both of those mediums, and uh, perpetually perplexing to me to not see either of them make it in by default in those categories. Yep, yep. Um, I th- I think the other quick snob to mention is uh, that you mentioned on the on the chat, uh, American Symphony, not making it into a documentary. Yeah, surprising that it only got for song. Um, when that was a presumptive like feel good, well, not feel good necessarily, but just accessible documentary that much many in the academy would see. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, it's gonna be interesting. Before we move on to talk sports. You want to catch up the listeners on how bad I'm doing on our draft? Yeah, so <laughs> I thought you were excited. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I am sorry. So it's okay. Right now, um, in our convoluted ske- scheme, we have Oscars really weighted heavily this year, partially because that's what we we're all it really like yeah. trying to game. I think you just ended up with uh, a bizarre position in in the snake draft yeah and i knew i had to swing and i was gonna either do surprisingly well or just bad and I, it was bad. yeah <laughs> right and um so kevin as expected after nominations is leading uh, because as you mentioned oppenheimer did very well on nominations as expected uh, and so he has oppenheimer barbie maestro and zone of interest Again, Maestro and Zone of Interest overperforming from where we expected. So mm-hmm. he's in a good position. Uh, he has uh, about 50% more points currently than I do, but we wait. We- Oscar wins very heavily in this. So I'm not down for the count. Yeah, no. uh, especially because, so I have Killers of the Flower Moon and Poor Things really 
boosting my totals. Uh, past lives and and not really May December, but <laughs> May December getting some critical awards. Past lives also helping me out. But unfortunately for you, holdovers in American fiction did well on nominations. But you have Origin, Spider Verse, Ferrari, The Color Purple, and Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And of those, there's only two nominations between those five. So unfortunately, even if you won every award for the Holdovers in American Fiction, I think the two of us will still probably pull ahead in general. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious over the next couple of weeks what happens with Origins. I wonder if it was just released two weeks too late. Yeah, I I am too. I I thought it... So I really liked the trailer for it. uh, But I also keep hearing stuff about like, Maybe it's a little too simplistic or pandering in, in ways okay. um, about some like covers. Yes. Also, it at the end has a QR code, just like uh, Sound of Freedom, where you can donate a ticket. So it's like, really, are we are we doing this? Are we really going to just boost finances with this for vague political issue films for the rest of, of time? Totally. I guess it makes sense. But yeah, uh, I, I do want to catch it. Um, but yeah, I was surprised to see it not really get in. I was also surprised to see Color Purple not get a little bit more traction than it did. But yeah, say lovey. Okay. In a just world, are either God, it's me, Margaret would be the locked favorite for supporting actress. She should have taken Jodie Foster's place. She yes, she should be winning this uh, award handily. (laughs) (laughs) Um. You want to talk sports for a bit? Sports uh, rights. Sports, sports rights. A little bit more than your own. Yes. yes, yes. Uh, sports rights. So there were two big kind of actually distribution slash strategic things that happened. Uh, basically on Monday, we're recording on Wednesday. The first one was Netflix announcing a 10-year deal with WWE Raw. WWE Raw. Uh, for those who remember our episode from last year, uh, WWE is wrestling and it's scripted mm-hmm. wrestling, but it's kind of treated as it's considered sports in the terms of like distribution and the role that it plays because it really has the pool for uh, life. People want to watch it live. WWE has a couple of different programs. They have two weekly ones. One is called Raw Monday Nights and one is called uh SmackDown. And they also have a pay-per-view, couple of events that happen every couple of months, WrestleMania, and another one that I'm blanking on. But Netflix signed a 10-year deal with Raw. Uh, it's a 10-year deal that it can be extended for another 10 years, and where Netflix has uh, an out after five years. This is Netflix's by far biggest step into not only sports, but like live entertainment. They paid twice the amount for the licensing that the current deal that the W that Raw has, which was, mm-hmm. um, I think it was like one one point three for five years or something, um, and it's interesting because I think it does it does fall into this kind of scripted category that Netflix feels very comfortable with. Um, the most surprising thing for me, and I'm curious to get your reaction after this, was live sports are 
incredibly important because they are, you know, whatever, 49 out of 50 of the most watched telecast year are sports. So they're incredibly, incredibly strong for advertisers. So it's yeah. a good moment for Netflix to do this because even though they start in 2025, they now have, you know, kind of their ad system. They're building it. They're mm -hmm. growing. It makes more sense now than it made later. However, they also uh, got rid of their basic tier and their lowest tier is only ads right now. Just okay. came out. To good. Me. So they're pushing ads even more. A little bit of context. Keep going. Surprisingly, they said that if you have the non-ad version, you have the premium version, you're not getting ads on Raw. Which is just like, <sighs> what? Like, if I have Peacock and I'm watching something on NBC or I have Paramount Plus and I'm watching a game on CBS, this is still like, it's not only uh, they're going to start looking at the ARPU that they're going to get and they're going to be like, we should put it. There is a pause in the show. Like, everyone is used to this. This is expected. This is exactly the one type of content you have where it's not going to feel weird to have ads. And you're doing this decision because you can get so much value for these lots. So why would you even go out of your way and say that? They could just not say anything and be like, we're going to decide over the next year. Well, this dovetails with something else I was going to say, which is uh, Netflix, a company that you and I feel like loves leaving money on the table. Uh, and in fact, like have admitted as such with the Knives Out release a couple of years ago. Uh, the pay-per-view content is also going to be free to Netflix subscribers at no charge. But you see that they announced that uh, I think apparently it's not. Okay. I was catching so what up I saw on this morning on yeah. Okay. There was there was some there was some um, clarification on that that they I That's think good. I think not only that but they're gonna be able to offer it internationally but not in the U.S. This one is okay. changing. Yes, yes, yes. Maybe by the time we, we publish okay, so this. This one is actually stuck in development right now. Yes, so, yes, <laughs> yes. Stuck in development. But yeah, there was something that came out about because they have some international rights. Um, but yeah, the pay-per-view seems to be foggy. Okay. Yeah, let's see if we, if we, if we find it uh, before we finish recording. But yeah, good decision, bad decision, good way to do it, bad way to do it. What do you think? I mean, good in terms of getting more people on the platform. Like, it makes, it's what you were speaking about, like, uh, I think like a year and a half ago with the Red Sox streaming service. I forget what it was. Nissan, yeah. Um, Nissan 360, yeah. they called it or whatever. Right, where you were talking about, like, the value of it and the fact that, like, we've, we've spoken on the show about how sports, people will pay astronomically for sports compared to other types of content and we'll pay astronomical recurring subscription fees every year for that mm -hmm. and it's a boon for wrestling lovers because it means in many cases they're going to get it for free and if not free they're at least going to get it for a very cheap price alongside other content but ultimately they could charge more they don't they could not even they could just have a w run the WWE Raw app if they wanted to and, and make a hell of a profit here. It's strange. And it goes along with all of their content decisions at this point, which is who are they trying to expand to that doesn't have access to a Netflix subscription? Especially for something, yeah. 
like the, the, the WWE is international, but it's still like highly, it's not as international as like football, yeah. for example. Um, I think they're going to reverse course on the ads for the premium channels. I, I don't think there is any way. I mean, even even if you're just putting bumpers for Netflix shows in there, like to your point, yeah, these are live sure. sporting events. They have time blocks where they're just waiting for the things to move on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all things considered, I think it makes sense. I think it makes sense for WWE. They tried to do this on their own a couple of years ago, and they weren't able to do it. They are now in, I think, the deal for WWE's USA. Um I think this makes a lot of sense for them. Uh, I don't know how many other leagues exist that are in a similar situation to WWE. Though, so I I was just thinking like, what could this mean for all of the other stuff in terms of Netflix being involved? Uh, well, WWE is more. I mean, it's. One of the few where they control the narrative more strongly than others in oh, terms 100, of literally one hundred percent, right? Like they literally control the narrative in, in yeah. ways that uh, pretty much every league can't. But also the talent, like it is closer to a traditional content or talent agency than than most sports entities are. So pretty natural fit there, I think, for any media company to really work with. But at the same time, that means that it's a lot less lucrative overall as well. And they've always done very well on streaming. I remember when I was at Roku, they were always a partner that was a critical partner to be thinking about uh, because they just have a dedicated fan base that will always be turning up for it. Yeah. So they're more like a... They're not as niche as like a Criterion channel, but a dedicated built-in audience that's always going to show up and always pay. Like maybe, maybe that stickiness is worth it to Netflix and worth 5 billion. And there are worse things that they have spent $5 billion on. Yeah. And I do think there is this other thing where there, again, there are other shows in WWE that are not coming to Netflix, but this is, it's pretty self-contained. Like if you just watch raw once a week, you have the whole story. And that's not the case with, any of the other sports where their deals, they're not signing one deal, right? Like the NBA and the NFL, they're all going to sign deals with everyone. Right now, CBS and ESPN and NBC, and they all participate because there aren't enough games. And and this is a good segue to the Amazon stuff. But you also don't have to worry about affiliates in the same way too. Yes. Yeah. And that is a perfect segue for Amazon. Cool. Which I know nothing about the Amazon thing. So okay, perfect. So let me give you a little bit of context. Um, Disney, it all starts with Disney. By Fox, right? Five years ago now? Six years ago? Whatever. Yep. They are forced, basically, slash preemptively, they decide to sell all the Fox Sports affiliates. Which are... Um, which are bought by Sinclair. Sinclair is the largest, uh, by far, like regional uh, broadcast station. Uh, I don't know what to call them. Conglomerate? Manager? Operator? Whatever. And they buy basically all of these parts of Fox Sports with debt. So in, you know, finance mumbo-jumbo, 
they split out all of these regional sports networks into this separate entity, and they push all the debt that they spent to them called Diamond Sports Group. Okay? Diamond Sports Group suddenly manages, the has the deals, the local deals, for I think it's 37 teams across NBA, NHL, and MLB. So football, baseball, and hockey. And they go bankrupt last year. Okay. Yeah. They go bankrupt, they can figure it out. They, all of the leagues start freaking out because they're like, what do you mean? We have deals with you for multiple years. They all look a little bit different, but what's happening here? They strike a deal that if they have to be liquidated, they'll basically return a lot of money to the leagues and still broadcast the 2024 league, uh, but then stop. As part of the bankrupt proceedings, turns out on Monday, that they figured out um, kind of a debt and equity restructuring to be able to uh, continue to be alive. And as part of the deal, Amazon is investing $115 million in Diamond Sports Group to get around 15% yeah. ownership. So nothing, basically. But what that gets them is they are going to bring all of these affiliates into Amazon channels. Now, this is also a moment that is stuck in development and there isn't enough information. Like when it first came out, people were freaking out because they were like, does that mean all of these affiliates are going to be free on Amazon Prime? That is not the case. They're going to be on Amazon channels. But it's also unclear if you're going to be able to sign up for all affiliates or if you're just going to be able to sign up for the affiliate of mm -hmm. your geography. Um, but basically, it, it now starts to con continue this path of all of these companies having their hands in many, many, many different pots. And Amazon suddenly has their hands on 37 teams. It's kind of a mess. They only have 15%. It's through channels. It's also this weird thing that they own this asset that it would probably be in Amazon's best interest to also put it on Roku channels and everywhere because they would get money, yeah. but now they also own the distribution and they might want to prop that up and everything comes back to Amazon Prime and free shipping. So who knows? But uh, yeah, interesting development. This doesn't touch the Red Sox one because like we talked last year, they are yeah. crazy and they have their own $39.99 a month streaming service to only watch baseball. But uh, yeah, interesting stuff. This is just part of the supply, part of the value chain that... I was very excited because I'm like, this is interesting. Like the affiliates don't make sense anymore as a concept and as a link in the value chain, right? There, yeah. There's so much, so many of these interesting teams. Utah, for example, the Jazz is just going direct to consumer. And, and like there is all of these possibilities and they went bankrupt and Amazon brought them back from the dead, which was kind of uh, interesting. But yeah, sports. Amazon is playing. Yeah. So, one of the, like, basically, rule one of entrepreneurship that we learned in, in our business program was to find something really boring that nobody cares about and to do it better than anybody else. And I think that that's a perfect place for disruption in this value chain is figuring out how to manage that affiliate relationship in the digital world, assuming that they're not going anywhere. Uh, Knowing Amazon and looking at their media track record, I don't think they're the ones that are going to actually execute on that in an intelligent way. And to your point, 
they don't have the Google model of we'll get in bed with anybody as long as it it seems to be net profitable for Google in all in all directions. So curious to see how this shakes out. I don't again don't think it's a bad investment. Yeah, I it's pretty true. Think it's a pretty prudent investment, and I'm sure the affiliates and uh, the teams are happy that somebody is bailing them out essentially. But ultimately, it is. Yeah, the the channel distribution here, having so many holes in it or unknowns in it, makes it difficult for me to comment on this. Yeah, I think what what it'll still do is, I think the leaks are freaked out. Like, I think the leaks weren't aware of this until Monday, and they probably hate uncertainty. Like, this means that their old deals are going to continue with some of this chatter that ESPN is looking for the leaks themselves to take an ownership stake in. I do wonder if this just delays inevitable that by the time the deals are renewed, they're just not given to affiliates and there mm-hmm. is new ways that are figured out. But the leaks have so much power and they're looking for certainty and so much money that maybe it was also just from Amazon's perspective. They were like, yeah, this is not going to work out, but this is my way to like get to know the people. Because yeah. at the end of the day, with everything that Disney, NBC, CBS is going through, and the cash on hand that Amazon, Apple, and Netflix have, like they they have to be nervous. Yeah, fair. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Apple, I was gonna say speaking of uh, Disney trying to find investments somewhere. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, so wanted to circle back on something that we really briefly touched on in on two fronts last week. Netflix not having a Vision Pro app, and overall Apple announcing external payment processing. Mm-hmm. So it's come out over the last week that it's actually not just Netflix; it's also YouTube, a um, mm-hmm. few other major players. I can't remember off the top of my head, but quite a few streaming platforms are not going to be Vision Pro native at launch. Apparently also Apple doesn't have the spec integrated into the Vision Pro that enables the the traditional web app view where you like add to home screen on your phone. Mm. So the web app version of Vision Pro apps will not necessarily be a fully optimized experience at launch especially since we're so close to launch. I'm sure that's something they'll rectify very, very quickly given the, the market dynamics here. But overall, this has shifted. Uh, I mean, I literally said last week that it's kind of hard to read the tea leaves about an Apple launch for a V0 product, but this shifts the calculus a little bit to really pushing this to be a professional device at launch and not even if a lot of consumer companies are waiting and seeing at this point. And there's going to be a suboptimal media consumption experience, which I think is the only real use case for consumers for a Vision Pro device yeah. at launch. 100%. I I think that that's, that's striking. Oh, Spotify was a, another one that I was thinking of, which having to rely on the web app for Spotify for, for music? Oof, yeah. You just great. want to wear your headphones and connect them to your iPhone? Exactly. Um and you can't easily view your iPhone screen on the Vision Pro. I mean, I'm sure 
you can suboptimally look at your iPhone through it, but it's not the same as the Mac integration. So, so overall, yeah, just I think this throws a wrench in things, and I think this also rightfully is retaliation for Apple cons- continuing to be a dick about payments processing. That's so that's so interesting. Have you tried to sign up to get a demo? I have not tried yet. I, I figured I'll just like wait a little bit. For me, the thing that has kept me from doing it is not even feeling like it's gonna be hard to get it, is that I'm like, where am I gonna find 30 minutes? But anyway. <laughs> I should totally. Yeah. My my office has a has a Apple store right next to uh my mm-hmm. office, so I can I can go there. The, can you the tell me is, can you tell me if Expedia is gonna have an app? Could be cool. You render uh, a beach if you're no. We can talk offline. Yeah. Don't tell me. Don't give me any secrets. We will not be a launch partner. Okay. I can say that. (laughs) Neither is my company. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, that's the sort of thing that, like, for most part, for most companies, native apps, you don't need a native app. Like, that's. I mean, a debate that I have internally today about the modern web generally like i i got an ipad uh, a few weeks ago and i opted for the lowest end ipad because i'm truly using it as a well not lowest end lowest end ipad air so 16 or 64 gigs of, of storage i was like i don't need the amount of storage that i would purchase for a phone or, or a mac because i'm truly using this as a consumption device uh apps do take up a lot of storage but for the most part the modern web, I'd rather use that or I can use that as opposed to a native app on the iPad in a way where it's a non-issue. But with a vision, with when you're trying to have a super optimized spatial experience like the Vision Pro, uh, it's a little DOA, which is not great for Apple. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm so excited for 2024. Yeah, it's gonna be a interesting year. We should probably try to do our predictions next year, next week, right? Oh, I think yeah. we should do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's plan for it. So, homework for us and for the listeners, if you're curious, go back and find our uh, episode about predictions. We can actually link to it uh, in the episode show notes here, so you can go back and see how right or wrong we were. Um, if I recall correctly, you actually did fairly well with our 2022 look back. I think so. So I don't think that's yeah. gonna be the case for. 2023, though. It's funny that I just truly can't, like, there's been so much that has happened in my life and so many things that have entered and exited my brain since then that I cannot tell you a single prediction that I had. (laughs) We're going to have to release it. Bumper stats. My friend, do you have an AUA for me? I do. And this is one that I will not attempt to answer myself. And I don't Mm. even know if you can answer it. So Wait, is there like a factual answer? No. Oh, okay. This is not a trivia. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, it just might require more research and thought than a okay. from the head. I thought you were going to be like, what's the county where Hogwarts is located or something like that? But sorry, go ahead. I, I mean, I have been playing Hogwarts Legacy lately, so... Uh, you do know the county I, where Hogwarts is? Uh, vaguely the Scottish Highlands. <laughs> ah, the famous county of bagels. Vaguely Scottish Highlands. Anyway, yes. Go ahead. Uh, lot, lots of vague things in the Harry Potter universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, by, by the way, something that is not vague out... of the universe? Sexual orientation? <laughs> no, anyway, continue. <laughs> uh, 
uh, yeah, the I if you wanna you wanna have fun, um, what did a Wikipedia rabbit hole? There is like a like criticism of the Wizarding universe, uh, like sociologically section on one of the Wikipedia pages dedicated to Harry Potter that I looked into. Basically, the fact that like there are all these endemic class structures that are not criticized yet are criticized and everything it just comes down to essentially issues of race and not class very fascinating thing to think about uh the harry potter universe and yeah. how bizarrely it's structured anyway uh, okay speaking of things that are bizarrely structured you have five billion dollars billion yeah five billion dollars and you have to spend it on an investment in some type of sports what what sport or league or event would you invest in? It's preferably something with a media event, media bet, but it doesn't really matter. So that could be: Do you invest in? Uh, do you try to get a cup, uh, a a bowl license? Do you try to get the streaming rights for some affiliates? Do you go for the WWE Raw? Um, do you try and scoop fencing or the IOC's contract in the states away from? From NBC, like, what do you spend five billion on? Okay, all the options that you said were about like distribution deals. Am I limited to distribution right. deals? You're not limited to distribution okay. deals. Okay, that. that's the only I, thing I know about sports. I would buy the Boston Red Sox. Can you do that for five billion dollars? Uh, probably, maybe five billion with a couple of investors at, to my side. Cool. They well, they would probably sell for like six or seven. No, but um. Okay, given that you allowed me to choose, that's I'm, I'm guessing that that also means that I don't have to do it based on like an objective, like what will maximize Correct. revenue. Okay. Yes. If it's distribution, the first thing that came to mind is the football World Cup, the soccer World Cup for the yeah. American listeners. For me, it's still the most amazing sporting event in the world. It's the most exciting. It's the best month. I am a little bit worried because they're expanding it significantly in terms of the teams that make it. They're keeping it every four years, but they're expanding it a lot. And they're also expanding... And no moral and ethical problems at all yeah, in involving yourself with FIFA. Exactly, also. <laughs> and also they're expanding it where... It was usually hosted by one country, and they're starting to be comfortable doing it in multiple. And, you know, in in five... in. In two years, it's Canada, U.S., and Mexico, which is ridiculous. It should only be the U.S. But anyway, after, it's like Spain and Portugal. Spain and Portugal together? Fine. Spain and Portugal are the size of, like, California plus Nevada. Not even, maybe just California. So you do get that emotion of, like, oh, there is things happening all around you. In the U.S., we're not even going to feel anything in Boston. Boston is going to have, like, a game. Houston is probably going to have one game. Dallas is going to have two games. But anyway, that's probably where my my mind went to first in terms of the most global, still a lot of runway, still growing, especially in markets like the US. If I was thinking about revenue maximizing, my mind goes to basketball. Interestingly, I think it still has a lot of, even though it's one of the big ones, still has a lot of room to grow. I don't know if you'll ever get to, like, football levels, but it's five times as many games a season. It's 82 games as opposed to 16. Um, 
the playoffs on their own are like two months, like 60-something games. Yeah. And it's just such a fun game. I... I... Yeah. What about you? I know you said you wouldn't try to answer, but where what what does your hunch tell you you would do? The one thing that I'm really drawn to over the last few months is all the weird novelty bowl games and just games that have been happening, like the Toy Story game or oh, the, the Nickelodeon or the, yeah, the Disney bowl. Plus. Sure. Yeah. I think that could be fun. Just like spend $5 billion and own the playoffs and do whatever you want <laughs> and uh, create a bizarre cultural extravaganza. Uh, but in, in all seriousness, um, I really think there's a way to do Olympic streaming better. That's why I brought up the IOC. Mm-hmm. It's something where late people like me actually care about it. And even just having like an easy, fast option as in free ad supported television fast option for engaging with it would probably drive a ton of revenue for whoever owns it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think just that's awesome. Might not be profitable. That's fine. I don't know the economics of this, but it also feels like a public good sort of thing as well. Right? Like the spirit of the Olympics is about global collaboration and competition in a friendly way instead of a scary way so to me that's what comes to mind and i think it's fun to be able to dip your toes into a lot of that um but who knows how the sponsorship goes and who knows how the rights rights are for that um so that comes to mind for me uh getting into like some sort of i i think some sort of college football uh maybe just college athletes ncaa rights management thing for uh, what's the the player rights thing like image and likeness yeah what it's called nil yeah nil yeah name image and likeness yeah i think some sort of clearinghouse for that would be interesting um you'd also do some evil like silicon valley bullshit where it's like you can invest in this player directly sure yeah right yeah but i think that's a path to profit for sure and also probably a path to a Empowering Making the experience even worse for these athletes. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's fun. I'm curious. Uh, I hope Peacock gets more creative than three years ago with the Olympics coming up. Yeah, what's when? When's LA 28? LA is 28, but Paris is in five months. Yeah, yeah. We're if they don't have their act together by by LA, then I don't know what to say. Oh no! But honestly, like Paris, they should just broadcast everything. And it's like, yeah, if you don't have a commentator on top of whatever, just put the feed. There is a feed. It's it. The feed comes from the IOC. Just put it. I think the Olympics and the Oscars are two things where everyone's just sort of like, I think a monkey could do better programming this than than <laughs> the people that run it. Oh yeah, maybe I'll use one of my. Uh, bold takes or expectations for 2024 about the Olympics that's a good one it's a good tease for next week well my friend thank you it was fun thanks for letting me talk about sports for a bit good day UA about sports I love that it's just become a meme that I I have to be convinced to talk about sports you know um, 
Yeah. I I think it's a funny meme. I think it's a, it's a good bit. I think we should continue it. Um, but yeah, I don't hate sports. <laughs> we trust you. We love you, still, Carl. Um, awesome. Then I'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. Later, guys. Bye.